All right, amen. Oh, that was worse than first gathering. Come on, y'all, how are we? Okay, six of y'all are good. All right, well, good deal. Welcome, welcome. Glad y'all are here. Uh, inaugural first, uh, yeah, time where we're gathering twice. So y'all are, y'all are part two of that. We awake? We good? Yeah. All right, a little bit better. There we go. Well, good deal. Uh, it is good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I love it because there's a little bit more space. You don't have to do like the awkward dance as you like try to get into the aisle, right? So we're good to go there. Uh, and also this weekend, the uh, Winter Olympics started. All right. Any Winter Olympics fans? Okay. All right. About half of y'all. That's right. Uh, What they reminded me of most is my love for living in Texas because uh, cold and snow are tactics and tools of the devil. Amen. All right. There's your theological truth for the day. All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Luke today, uh, starting a new sermon series. Talk about that in a second. Uh, If you don't have Bibles, the ushers are going to come forward now. And uh, if you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand and uh, they will give you one of those. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take and keep that. It's our gift to you. We want you to have the word. You can also actually follow along your smartphone. You can take this link and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along that way. Um, Or you may also uh, open up the YouVersion app underneath events, type in the Well Austin you can follow along that way. Uh, We say this every week because we mean it. I mean, we want your eyes on the word, okay? Uh, Far more than what I'm saying, far more than uh, anything that's happening. Like, we actually believe that the scriptures are the very word of God. And because of that, they are that to us, the words of God, that we would actually be able to uh, uh, hear what God is saying. And so far more than hearing me, far more than anything else, I would love for you to be able to see God speak to you today, uh, even through the scriptures. And so that's why we want our eyes on them. That's why we open them, all right? So, We are beginning a new sermon series on Luke's miracles, uh, and I want to real quick give a little bit of an idea as to why we chose this uh, before we dive into it so we know where we're going. So we're coming off of our vision series, kind of here's what God is calling us to, here's what uh, we think he wants from us at the well, and what we really want to do is we think that this series kind of tackles a lot of the things that we need to see happen if we're going to see God provide for his glory and the sake of the city. To be honest with you, one of the first things that we just felt was all last year we were in the Old Testament, so we were in Genesis, and then we did Malachi last year, and so that's a lot of Old Testament and Hebrew names that are hard to pronounce, all right? And so rather than kind of looking uh, at Jesus in the Old Testament, and as they point to him, we would rather say, hey, let's study the actual life of Jesus and kind of see how he lived and moved. And so part of it was that we would get to look at that rather than look to that, if that makes sense. Uh, Secondly, as we move into this new season as a church, I think that we have to begin to broaden our understanding of who God is and really the miraculous nature of God, that God is a God of miracles. And that as we see that in the scriptures, what I'm hoping is that that it is convicting in our own lives where we just really believe, man, God can do miraculous things. Like he is a God that can move. He is a God that uh, does things that are profound. In fact, the things that seem uh, extraordinary or uh, really out of the realm for us, they're really second nature to God. In fact, I would say if you believe in Jesus, then the fact that you are a Christian in and of itself is a miracle. Because the scriptures say you were dead in your heart, now all of a sudden you're alive in Christ. Like, God is a God who wants to work miracles. And so as we look at that in the scriptures, what I hope is that it's convicting for our lives. We say, man, I want to see God move like this in my personal life. That it's convicting for our city, for our state, for this nation, for the world. That we would see the glory of God enter into the world and habitate uh, in our humanity and really transform us. Amen? 
And that's what we want to see is the ability for God to transform, all right? And so we hope that that uh, is happening. Thirdly, uh, look at this verse on the screen real quick. You don't got to turn here, but at the end of John's gospel, in fact, this is the very last verse in John's gospel. He says this, now there were also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain uh, the books that would be written. Now, we got to think John's writing in an ancient day, so there's probably not the amount of libraries and, and books that we have today, but he's probably being somewhat serious about this, that out of all the scrolls he's seen, out of all the libraries, that if you were to write down all of what Jesus said, I, I don't know if it could have all been contained in those. And so why then did the gospel writers choose to write these accounts down? Well, the reason why is because these accounts, they, they teach us something, that if you are able to understand uh, what Jesus is trying to display, if you will allow it to kind of come in and transform you, that you will see even the same power that Jesus displayed there in those miracles. These accounts are trying to tell us something. And so why didn't we hear about all the other healings, all the other miracles? Well, because these ones teach us. And so I hope that we are able to be taught through these as we walk through them. And so, one, we just want to paint, all right, in this series, how awesome Jesus is. Amen? Like, Jesus is awesome, all right? He is good. We sing that, and we mean that. But we also say, man, we want it to uh, transform us, to really shape who we are. So that's what we're doing in this series, all right? So uh, we are going to pick it up in Luke chapter 8 is where we will be. So um, as you are turning there, Luke chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 22, and we see this really interesting setting that the disciples are in, all right? And so it says this. One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing Okay, let's pause right there. A little bit of context, okay? First of all, a lot of these disciples were fishermen. So the fact that they are freaking out here, all right, is telling us something about the storm that, I mean, this is kind of serious, right? Like, like they're used to handling these things, and yet here they are emotional, and they're, they're kind of shaken, and they're, 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 master, master, what's happening, right? In fact, even that master, master, the fact that that is said twice shows this uh, uh, fear, this urgency, this sense of, you got to save us, Jesus, Right? Like, it would be one thing if I were writing that account, you know, and, like, I was the one that was telling the story and I was the one that was on the boat. Because the second that a raindrop would have came down, a brother would have been speaking in all types of languages, being all super charismatic, right? Like, praying, okay? And as that thing starts filling, man, I would have been freaking out, right? But I'm not a fisherman. I just perpetuate all types of wrong stereotypes about my culture, right? But these guys are fishermen, right? Like, like they get it. They know what all the black people said, amen, right? That's literally what happened. I saw that, all right? But literally, right, these guys are fishermen, and they're like, hey, we, we know how to deal with this, okay? And yet they're scared. And so something must seriously be happening here. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they actually each say uh, this uh, story. They all tell us the story. But they actually all are calling Jesus different names in that story. In fact, if you look on the, on the slide real quick, we see in Matthew, he calls him Lord and Mark, teacher. And in Luke, master, master, okay? That actually shows that there's probably validity of this account. Why? Because they're saying all sorts of different things, right? They're, they're scared. They're freaking out. Everybody's just kind of saying something different about Jesus, right? Like I would have been like, bruh, 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 right? In the Greek, that's brosive, brosive, right? Okay, so like this is a real account. They're, 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 they're scared. They're, they're, what's happening here, okay? And they're worried about it. And my man's Jesus is taking a nap. 
right? Like, it's kind of funny to us, but that ain't that funny, right? Like, what's happening here? So let's keep reading. And so, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him? Like, what in the world would that have been like? All right, to see all these raging seas, and then boom, all of a sudden, there's calm. In fact, you see those words, the, the, the verbs are the raging versus the calm, right? This is a, a sharp contrast that Jesus did here. And so they ask, man, who is this man? Who is this man? In fact, two questions are asked in this, and it's important that we actually keep both of these questions in our mind because they direct us throughout the rest of the sermon. One of them is, who is this man? And that's important to answer. And the other one, Jesus actually asked, he said, where's your faith? Where is your faith? And both of those, what the text is actually trying to do is it's trying to answer these things for us. And it's pivotal that we understand both of these, okay? And so here are the questions that are posed. And then let's keep reading because now all of a sudden the story picks right back up into something else that's probably just as dramatic. So verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of Genesaris, which is opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, they met a man from uh, the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit uh, to come out of the man. For many uh, a time it seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Okay, so storm part two, right? This man is possessed with a storm of demons, right? All these demons are upon this man. Now, really, really quickly, all right, I want to set us in the right frame of mind, okay? Because in America, we do not deal with the demonic a whole lot. All right, this is not something that we are used to talking about. In fact, if you're kind of skeptical of the spiritual here, I would really encourage you that, man, really in America and in Western culture as a whole right now, it is the only culture in all of the earth who is skeptical of the spiritual, not just presently, but throughout all of history past. Like everybody has understood that there is something to this. We are in the minority right now to say, I don't really know if that's true, right? In fact, every other culture presently, like, like not unintellectual cultures, like other cultures, they wrestle with this. And what happens is, is they actually usually swing the pendulum on the far negative side where they have this overcoming fear or even this worship of darkness. But we kind of swing the pendulum all the way over to this side and we kind of think, I don't, I don't really know if that's true. I don't know if that exists, right? We have medicine to heal the body, psychology to heal the mind, but what heals the soul? We're mind, body, and spirit, we would say, right? And yet we never deal with the spiritual, okay? And so how, then, do we know what happens when we see something like this? What happens, in fact, are some of the things that we're kind of saying, oh, this is just physical, this is just an emotional problem, are we sure about that? Right? In my own life, to be honest with you, when I first came to be a believer, I was super skeptical of kind of the dark and, and what's happening there. And over the course of my time as a believer, I can tell you with a surety that, man, darkness is real, Satan is real, and he hates you. 
In fact, he would do whatever it takes to suppress you and to keep you out of light, out of the truth. In fact, I have seen things that literally physically break the laws of science, of people doing things that are physically, humanly impossible, and they are filled with this dark spirit. And I've seen people pray for people, and literally they return to be a normal man again. And this has happened over and over and over, where it's not enough to be a coincidence, but it's just truth. I've seen it in my own life. And so we don't have uh, time to really dive way deep into that today, but I want to set us in the right frame of mind, like, like this stuff is real, okay? In fact, in the summer, we're going to go over Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about spiritual warfare, and he dives into it, and so there we'll hear more stories and kind of dive into it more, but for today, I want us to know that, man, th- this isn't abnormal, like, like this is serious, this is real, there is darkness out there, and Satan's greatest trick for us as Americans is to trick us into thinking that he does not exist, is to pacify us of the truth so that we think, oh, all this spiritual hogwash, right? But in reality, there's, there's truth to this. And, and if we don't see it, then we'll actually miss the, the spiritual power, the authority that Christ does have. Now, remember, the disciples, they said, man, who, who is this man, right? And then look who answers the question for them. It's the demon, right? The demon says, This is Jesus, right? Emmanuel, son of the most high God. In fact, in all of the gospels, he gives the strongest uh, assent as to who Jesus is. Like he really believes. Why? Well, because the scriptures would say that he was present with Jesus before they got kicked out of heaven and fell to earth and, and turned into what we would call demons that they've seen Jesus glorified. They know who he is. And so these demons have this fear of him, but they also have this theological knowledge of him and that they know who he is. In fact, it's hard to say, but demons often have far better theology than we have, right? And so the demons, they recognize who Jesus is. They answer the question for the disciples, who is this man? It is Jesus Christ, the son of the most high God. Let's keep reading, verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and, in, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Okay? First of all, what we know is that we are amongst Gentiles right now. Okay? How do we know that? Well, because they are herdsmen of pigs, and Jews didn't keep pigs. They saw them as unclean. And so we see Jesus amongst a group of people who would not naturally be looking for him, but that's okay because our God is a missionary God like we talked about last week. And though they were not naturally looking for him, he was naturally looking for them. In fact, he would cross over a whole stormy sea just to get to them. And Jesus is the same for us today. Oftentimes he encounters us when we're not really looking for him, but it's okay because he's looking for us, right? And so here's Jesus present amongst the people who are not ready for him. And they're kind of like, what is happening here, right? Like, like, like how, how is this happening? And they're kind of terrified a little bit. Let's finish our story. Verse 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Genesaris asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. 
And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. You see that? Declare how much God does for you. And then the man goes and declares how much Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus is God. And the man recognized that. He saw that to be true, okay? And so we see that there was a fear from these people, the Genesarites, right? They, they didn't say this out loud, but they really asked the exact same question that the disciples asked. Who is this man? Right? Like, they come, and they're seeing all this miraculous thing, and they're saying, yo, who is this guy? <laughs> right? Like, like, what is happening here? And they're afraid, right? Well, what do the stories tell us? Because these two stories are put back to back for a reason, Honestly, they actually tell us a lot, okay? The, the scriptures here are actually kind of pregnant with a lot of truths that we're unable to fully unpack today because there's, there's so much happening. But there's a, a main thrust that I think Luke is trying to tell us here, and he actually does it in the midst of four stories. These two stories are a part of four stories as a whole. And next week, we'll actually hit on the second two stories of this uh, kind of context, which I'm already excited about, and I wouldn't be lying to you if I said I already kind of prepared for the sermon because I love these two stories, all right? But but they are a part of a whole here, and there's four stories, and they're hitting on this huge truth. And next week's story, there's a woman who had been bleeding for years, and she then gets healed by Jesus. And then there's actually a little girl, Jairus' daughter, who died. And then Jesus comes, and he raises her from the grave. And so what are these stories telling us? Well, these four accounts are showing four different things of Jesus, but all of them are showing the same truth, that Jesus has authoritative power over every single thing that we fear. And so he has authoritative power over nature, right? Like, like the winds and the waves obey him. He has authoritative power over the spiritual, the darkness, the demons. They obey him. He has authoritative power over disease, as we'll see next week, and even authoritative power over death. Luke is saying, hey, every single thing that you kind of naturally fear, everything that your heart is concerned or worried about, everything that you know you can't control, right? Who can control a hurricane, right? Or the demons, the dark forces, they're clearly stronger than this man. They are stronger than us. And disease, we hate it because if it starts to grab a hold of our body and we are unable to heal it, man, it worries us, right? And we try not to think about death because there's so much fear of it and our culture has just kind of pacified us to the seriousness of it. So we don't even want to deal with death. But every single thing that we should naturally fear, Jesus comes on the scene and says, got it, right? I am over these, okay? Jesus is showing authority over every single thing that we fear, However, look at all the responses to Jesus. Even though he has authority over all of these things, and even though he's trying to show us everything that you fear, you don't have to be afraid of because I'm over it. What's happening? The disciples are scared, and the Genesarites are scared. He comes and says, you don't have to fear, and they're like, we're terrified, brother. Right? And that's what is happening in this story. Okay? And so let's look at those two camps because there's kind of two camps there. So the first one, we'll, we'll call them the disciples. All right? What we'll actually kind of put us in is these are the Christians. Okay? These are people who follow Jesus, who believe in him. And so if you're a Christ follower, you can put yourself in this category. And in the Gospel of Mark, in his version, he actually gives us a little bit more insight into their convo. And so you don't have to turn here. It'll be on the screen. But, but look at this. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. <laughs> I just love that. I don't know why it's funny to me. I don't know why I laugh like that either. But, uh, and then they woke him, and he said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care, Jesus? Don't you care? Don't you care, God, that we are perishing? And oftentimes, friends, when the storms come into our life, 
When we feel like the water is starting to seep into our boat and all of a sudden our control is we're losing it, do we not ask the same question to Jesus? God, don't you care? Don't you care? Like, where are you at? Right? Like, like I'm drowning. Hello, God. Right? Wake up. Why are you sleeping? And we find ourselves actually, if you're honest with yourself, asking this same question. In fact, we make a fundamental mistake as Christians. We think that if we believe in God and if we read our Bible and if we pray, then nothing bad will ever happen to us. But that's just not true. All throughout the scriptures, it makes clear we still live in a broken, jacked up, messed up world that is sharp. And when that sharpness begins to cut us and we feel the blood and we feel it squeezing down on us, sometimes we can say, God, where are you at? Right? Like, like don't you care that I am getting hurt here? Don't you care that, that I am drowning? Right? But God does care. But we often forget, and we think that this is not true, okay? Notice, I said earlier, I think the disciples are Christians. I think they're believers, and why do I say that? Well, because I think the question that Jesus asked them is pivotal. If you look at it, he doesn't look at them, I don't think, with a tone of, like, you imbeciles, all right? Foolish, ignorant people, how long do I have to be with you? Where's your faith, Right? I don't think he's asked, telling them like that. Why do I say that? Because he rebukes the winds and the waves, the text says, but he says to the disciples, see the contrast, rebuke and say, right? I think he's just kind of telling them, hey, where's your faith, okay? Now notice, he doesn't say to them, you don't have faith. If you only had a little bit of faith, then you'd be able to, he doesn't say that. He says, where is your faith? In other words, they have faith, but they're not choosing to act upon that faith. They're not activating that faith. They're not living in the reality of the truth of what they know. So they believe, but they still have all this unbelief. And rather than acting in what they know about God, they're acting in all of this fear. And so Jesus is saying, hey, where is your faith? Why aren't you activating it? Right? Daryl Bach, who's a professor at a DTS and a commentator, he says this, to overcome trial, one must have faith in God's goodness. The faith in view here is not initial or saving faith, but an applied faith that functions in the midst of pressure. It is a faith that had depth of understanding and can be drawn upon in tough times. It is faith that kicks in and recognizes that God is in control even in the face of disaster. See, don't we do this too, friends? Right? Like if we're honest with ourselves, the, the disciples were believers, but what they're doing is that they think this problem is too big for Jesus. That's one of their, their main problems there is they say, this problem is too big for Jesus. And the other thing that they're doing is they're saying, hey, this is a, a, a something that we just cannot wrap our heads around. And they forget about the goodness of God in the past. So the problem is either too big for God, he can't take care of this, or, or they do not remember what God has already done for them. They are not choosing to remember the faith that they have already seen. Because, see, they have seen Jesus do wild things. In fact, they saw somebody resurrect from the grave already. They saw people be healed. They heard these teachings of Jesus. In Luke's account, they have already given profession of faith, and yet they are not acting upon this faith because maybe they think that the problem is too big. And at this point, I think we can maybe, if we're honest with ourselves, kind of see ourselves in these disciples because sometimes I think we think that the problems of God are kind of too big, right? Or maybe we just forget that he is a God that cares and we choose not to remember how he's already acted in our life over and over and over and over and over again, right? And so we are a lot like the disciples. And so what we end up saying to God is, God, we are dying. And we go, we wake him up and we kind of say, God, prove yourself, right? Don't you care about me? And God clearly cares. 
Elizabeth Elliot, in one of her books, uh, she talks about how she was uh, at this farm and there were all these sheep that were dying. And so what the farmers did is they realized that the sheep were dying because these bugs were coming. They were biting them and the sheep were like bloating and then they were literally like exploding on the inside and dying, okay? And so what they did was they, they got all this uh, insecticide and they would bring these sheep over to this vat, this tub of insecticide, and they would dip the sheep in them so that the bugs would be repelled and not come bite them and kill them. And when the sheep were going over to the tubs, they were all happy-go-lucky and frolicking like little sheep, right? So they're walking over to the tub, okay? This is how sheep walk, in case you didn't know, all right? And so they're walking over there, okay? And then the farmer, they picks them up, and they put the sheep into the tub, and the sheep start freaking out, right? Like, what is this man doing, okay? Because they literally had to take the sheep's head and dip it beneath the water so that it wouldn't bite its face off, right? And so the sheep, as they are getting dipped under underneath all of this insecticide, they're probably thinking, what? Gosh, we have such lovely shepherds. No, right? They're thinking, this man gone crazy, he's trying to kill me, right? And that's what the sheep have to be. They're freaking out. They're, they know the shepherd. It's not like these are new people. They, these are men that the sheep have been around forever. These men have fed them and, and, and kept them warm and kept them away from danger. But when he starts pushing his head underwater, it feels like he's trying to kill the sheep. And that's what the sheep fear, And do we not have a good shepherd? Has he not fed us and clothed us and cared for us? And yet when he takes us and he sticks us in the tub and we start feeling ourselves going under, can we not say, what are you doing? You have lost your mind, right? And we all of a sudden think God does not care. We forget that he clearly cares. He's he's shepherded us. He's guided us. He's walked with us all these years, but we lose track of that. And God clearly says, look, yes, I care, okay? And so why the storm comes, look, y'all, sometimes we don't know, okay? We don't know why God allows these things to happen. We don't know, but God knows. Just like the sheep didn't understand, right, why they were dipping their heads in. Listen, the shepherds are a higher authority than the sheep. They understand why they're doing that, and they're protecting them. So we may not understand the problems in our life, but God is a higher authority than us, and he sees what we do not see, and is he not but protecting us? This is a good shepherd, and we do not have to fear. So the text tells us that God is not only more powerful than the storm, but it actually displays to us that he also cares. He's more powerful. He has authority over what we fear, and he cares. Those are not separate truths, right? However, in the next story, we see a different response. The Genesarites, these are people who do not really have faith in Jesus. And so we will put those as people who do not believe in the Lord. So maybe you're in here, you're kind of wrestling with Christianity, or, or you just know that, no, I don't follow that Jesus, okay? This is what these people kind of represent. And they saw a storm as well. They saw a storm of demons and Jesus do a miracle with those demons. They saw an utter transformation of the man that had been running around naked and in the tombs and wilding out, right? And then all of a sudden they come and he's clothed in his right mind, sitting with Jesus and the disciples. And they see this utter transformation, but they do not understand Jesus. And so the disciples are afraid that Jesus doesn't care, but the the Genesarites, they're just afraid of Jesus, And I can tell you that in my life, before I gave my life over to Christ, I would not have used that language, but that's actually what it was for me too. I was afraid of Jesus. See, because the problem with them was they didn't see that miracle. 
In fact, oftentimes you only see miracles when you are intimate with God and your spiritual eyesight is open and you're able to see him move. But they just came and they saw a transformed man. They knew something had happened, but they didn't understand this Jesus. They didn't have a a, a grasp, an understanding of him. So this created fear because we're afraid of that which we do not know. And if we do not know Jesus, it is easy to actually be afraid of him, right? This was my heart, right? See, the disciples thought Jesus didn't care, but they just were afraid of Jesus. They didn't understand him. They didn't try him out. So what they tried to do is they tried to distance themselves from Jesus. In fact, most of the commentators would agree that, man, Jesus just sent like all their livestock off of a cliff, okay? So he just sent all their money, what they're used to making an income of, he just threw it off a cliff, right? Why? Because Jesus was more concerned about that transformed man's life than their economy. And so what could have been happening in their life is they're saying, look, I don't understand this Jesus. There's a a fear of Jesus, so they do not want to try him out. But look, they may be worried about what it means for them as well. And in case you're not tracking, let me give you a personal example of my life. Like, I thought that becoming a Christian was like following all these rules, okay? And that coming to Jesus would mean I would lose all my fun, Right? Like I was having a pretty good fun time before I became a believer. It wasn't like I was the guy that was like thoroughly depressed and like, I need somebody. And then all of a sudden in comes Jesus. Like I thought my life was all right. And so I thought following Jesus, what it meant was getting rid of everything that I loved, everything that I cared about, everything that I wanted. And I was afraid I would not try him out because I was worried about what it would mean for me. What pigs would Jesus send off the cliff in my life and I would just lose? All right? And I think if we're honest with ourselves there, a lot of us who do not believe in the Lord, who are wrestling with Christ, who are not ready to give our lives over to him, it's actually because we're a little bit scared of Jesus. We don't understand him fully. And what is he actually asking from me? And this begins to create a fear, right? And these were these people. And they said, Jesus, we want you to get away from us. And Jesus, like a gentleman, doesn't force himself upon them. But he says, okay. And he ends up leaving them, and they miss an opportunity to behold something that was far more valuable than their pigs. And I, for a long time, was missing the opportunity to behold something far more valuable than my pigs. But I didn't know him, right? I didn't invite him close. And so they're thinking, man, what do we have to give up? What, what benefits will be missed on light of that? And I fear that many of us, we, we do this as well. So on both sides, with the disciples and with those who are, are not believers, with, with those who are just kind of, uh, we don't know about this Jesus, on both sides, there's what? Fear. And yet Jesus comes and says, look, I overcome everything that you fear. And so this whole thing is this idea of control and this idea of fear. Jesus is showing that he can overcome all these, but we're either afraid that God isn't big enough or more likely that he does not care about us, right? Or we're just afraid of him in general. Can I give you a more personal example in case you're still not tracking? Even this week on Wednesday, right? Like, I'm a pastor. And this always happens. Like, when you preach something, the Lord just utterly slams you the week that you're preaching it, okay? And so Wednesday... I'm literally, I told my wife, I told uh, Josh and Nick, two of our pastors on staff, I said, man, I'm just tired, yo. I'm tired. These two gatherings are happening. There's all these things that we still have to do. There's all this movement. I was out of town Monday and Tuesday, so I got back even more exhausted and trying to wrestle with all these things. And I felt myself being tired. And I started like tearing up at things that I just never tear up at. Like I was like driving, there was a red light and I was like, God, I just got to get to my next meeting, right? It wasn't that bad, but it felt like that, okay? And literally I'm sitting here, I'm wrestling with God and I start to find myself asking, God, why are you sleeping? Like wake up and deal with this stuff, 
right? Like, like why can we not get this all down? Why is there still all these things? Why do I have 9,842 emails in my inbox still, right? Like, God, don't you care? Don't you see that I'm drowning, God? And I, I wouldn't have said this out loud, but what is my heart saying to God? God, where are you? Why are you sleeping? Wake up. Don't you care? And if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're in church, right? You don't got to lie. Let's be honest. I think we can do that a lot with God, too, without even realizing it. We're afraid that God doesn't care. But I want to read one more text today to tell us why we should not be afraid of this truth. If you flip over to Isaiah chapter 40, this is just a great chapter about God and who he is in general. And God comforts us, and he's powerful over us, and there's all this beauty. But in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10, it starts off with this. Behold, that means take sight, listen, right? Listen up. The Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God is intimate. He is personal. He is present. God is there with you, right? Like like Jesus is in the boat, y'all, right? Like Jesus cares. And in fact, all throughout the scripture, we see this God. Hebrews tells us he's a, a sympathetic high priest. He has suffered with all the things that we suffer so that he can sympathize with us, so that he can show us, I am with you, I am present, I care. God cares. He is intimate. He is personal. In fact, that's what we believe as Christians is that there was a division between us and God. We said, I want nothing to do with you. But Jesus came to us when we weren't even looking for him. And he bridged the gap so that we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. This intimacy. God cares. But then look at the very next verse. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. But man, oh man, God is also huge, right? The heavens there, what that means is the universe, is what we would say in our language. Who has measured the universe, all the skies, everything that can be seen, all of them? Who has measured them with a span? That word span actually means the length of your hand. Who has measured them? Well, well, it is God that has, right? Who has scooped up the waters and, and measured them in the cups of his hand. This is how big God is, okay? And so I want you to do this. Literally, I want you to physically do this. I want you to, to hold up your hand in front of you, all right? Hold it up and look at your hand, right? The back of your hand. That's how big the universe is to God. And you don't think he can handle your depleting bank account? You don't think he can handle your relational issue, your, your job situation, your emotional state, the depression you're going through, the, the, the frustration? Like, 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 that's how big the universe is to him. What does this text tell us? God is great, and so you don't have to be in control. He's got this. Right? Not only is he intimate and is he personal, is he literally in the boat with you, but it is also a question where we say, who is this man that the winds and the waves, they obey him, the demons, they look at him, he doesn't even say anything, they start shuddering because they know, they know that God is not just an intimate, personal God, but he is a massive God. In fact, sometimes I, I think what happens is we focus on Jesus' humanity so much that we forget the fact that he is also God. He is above all of this. Listen, y'all, all of the problems that you wrestle with, he He's got it. He's got it. He knows. 
and he cares. He's innocent enough to care. He brings the sheep in close to him, into his bosom even, it says, right? He holds on to them. God is massive, so you don't have to be in control, and he's intimate, so he cares. And what happens is, is we forget these truths. We don't activate this truth in our lives. And so we forget that God is powerful, that he is in control, and we end up saying, God, don't you care? Because we forget these truths, friends. But if we remember this, if we, if we see this, y'all, we have the same power of Christ living inside of us that the disciples saw. In fact, if you're a believer, he's even closer now. The Holy Spirit enters inside of us closer than our skin, the text says, right? Like he is personal. He is intimate. He cares. And if you're keeping Jesus at a distance, uh, get away from me, right? You're missing this intimacy that only a personal God yet a deified God can give. And Jesus is both of these at the same time. And here's how we can know this is true even more than the disciples knew it. Because, friends, a couple of years after this, Jesus would come and he would face a storm. He would face something that he actually did not conquer, but rather he submitted himself to. All throughout the Old Testament, it says that God's wrath is like a storm, a, a whirlwind, a tornado is what they uh, describe. And literally, as Jesus is up on the cross dying for our sins, that he can reconcile us back to God, that if we believe in him, we can have relationship with God and this power in our life to overcome everything that we fear. Why do we know this is true? Because Jesus submitted himself to what we deserved, the wrath of God, the, the skies, the nature literally goes black on him, the text says. And the spiritual, we see the separation between him and God. And all of a sudden he says, where are you at, God? And he sounds like us. Jesus does on the cross. Why? Because Jesus is suffering everything that you should have suffered so you never have to suffer again. If you believe in Jesus, if you rest in him, then this power, this authority, this has been placed over you. Because all the sin that separates us, Jesus came and paid for. He sat under the storm of God's wrath. He entered into the spiritual darkness that we are terrified of, and he literally died. Why? So that you can overcome death. See, the wages of sin, they're death, but Jesus paid these wages and Jesus, because he is not weak and because he is not just a man, he resurrected from the grave, showing that he had power, authority over nature, over, over uh, spiritual, over diseases, over death. Jesus has authority over everything that we fear. Why do we fear? We forget, right? We, we forget. Well, we keep him at a distance. We, we don't want this authority in our lives. What does it mean? What is he going to ask me to give up? But the text is pleading with us, right? Y'all, Jesus cares, that, that's how big it is to him. And yet this is how close he is to us. Is he not with you? Does he not care? So friends, I hope that we become a church, okay, that believes in this power of God, that he literally can overcome everything that we fear, that we can ask and he responds. But I also pray that we will become a church that responds in the midst of storms by activating this faith that we believe, by activating this truth that we have seen, that we remember God is good. And I even prayed that, man, maybe you're wrestling with Christ and you try to keep him at a distance. There's nothing to be afraid of, right? Jesus is good. And he literally, what we sang earlier, you are good, you are good. Even when we don't understand, he does not let us down. Even when we feel like he's drowning us beneath the vat of insecticide, right? Like, no, 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 he's doing it. Why? To protect us. God loves you. He cares. He's intimate. And I pray that you would be just as intimate with that God and yet stand in awe at that majesty and that you would say, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves, even the demons believe in him and that your heart would say, oh, that is Jesus. 
Son of the Most High God, and he is who I trust, he is who I believe in. Let us rest in the authoritative nature of God. I love you guys. Let's pray.